Come on and pray with me. Lord, there are so many hurting, but there are so many helping. And there are many of those who are helping who are hurting at the same time. We all need you, God. We need not only your strength, but we need your trustworthiness. So come to us now and teach us from this word in a way that it will not only become a part of our faith, but become a part of the way we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as Pastor Vernon was saying, we had this uh, preaching plan before we so, were so rudely interrupted by a blowhard named Irma. And so I'm going to take uh, two uh, points today. It doesn't make the sermon any longer. Just, it just, but, but it's good because these points are the main interrupters of trying to live a Christian life. When Jesus taught us to pray against unforgiveness and against temptation, he was teaching us how to overcome the two main or most common interrupters of when we're trying to do something right. Let me give you an example. Um, Pastor Vernon told you about the, the guests that we've had this week, and, and, I've, and I've, I've loved going over and hearing the stories. You realize why people are in a shelter, right? I mean, some of them are in a shelter because they have no electricity, but many of them are in a shelter because they have no friends, and they have no family, and they're alone. They wouldn't be there if they weren't alone. And so to go through and to listen to these stories is such an honor. And of course, there's always the span of people that you just can't help. You can't fix it, you know? And they're depressed and, and understandably so. To folks that are so buoyant, no matter what, I mean, you could drop a rock on their head and they'd still be grinning and, you know, coming up with a, well, praise the Lord. And it was one such lady I was talking to. She had the most buoyant attitude. I'd talked to her several times and I, I went there, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and, and she was in there. And, and so we were talking, she was talking to another person who was a, a kind of a personal helper person uh, that, that uh, had a helping vest on and she said, well, let's just pray. Can I pray for you? Well, of course, that's the best thing. So she launches into this prayer. It was the sweetest prayer, sweetest prayer. And, but she had us all join hands. And, and you know, when you, when you do that, you don't think of, you know, your posture. And so I, you were, I was kind of in an awkward position. And the prayer just started to go on and on. And about three minutes into it, I got a cramp. <laughs> now, you can't interrupt a spiritual exercise with a worldly complaint like, wait a second, I got a cramp. So I was just going to tough it out. And this hamstring just was going like this. And I was starting to sweat. And I was starting to think what many of you think when somebody is praying up here. Good Lord, how long is this prayer going to go on? Now, I know you do. I know you do. You sit there and think to yourself after a while, how much does God need to know? 
that you're praying that long. And, and, so, and so, man, I just thought, I'll never walk again after this thing. Well, the point is this. I couldn't really concentrate on the sweetness of that prayer and the power of that prayer because I, I got a cramp. Well, I want to tell you about a couple of the cramps that you get in your life on your spiritual journey. Jesus wants to tell you about that because he taught us to pray them so that we would live them. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now, for those of you who aren't Presbyterian, you're Methodist in your background, this is the way we used to pray. Forgive us our trespasses. You know what a trespass is. You go someplace where you're not supposed to be. You forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have been someplace in our life they shouldn't be. Or I, very, I like the very simple version. Very simple version. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, why was he, why was he doing that? I, I, I want to tell you the larger context of Jesus' ministry because every time you, you hear him talk, you got to put it in a larger context of what, what overall he was trying to accomplish. You remember, don't you, that he read his job description at the beginning of his ministry. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4 that he entered into a synagogue. And he, he read from Isaiah 61. He, they unfurled the scroll and read from Isaiah 61. And, and, and he ended it with saying, today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. In other words, this is my job description. This is what I'm here to do. And this is what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach, to the, to preach the gospel to the poor. Now watch this. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed. I'm here to tell you that when you carry around unforgiveness, you are captive and you are oppressed. Christ is free. You don't forgive people because they deserve forgiveness. You forgive people because Christ wants you free. He does not want you to be oppressed. And so, let me go a little bit further into this. The important thing to understand when you're facing unforgiveness or, or just anger, you know, not, uh, not a lot of people tag this as unforgiveness, but that's what it is. You're just angry at somebody. You know, you're just ticked off at somebody. And, and it just keeps coming back in your mind. One of the things to think about and the, and the way to completely deal with this in the way that God did through Jesus Christ is to go a little bit further and try to understand what were they thinking? Or what would bring them to such a place that they would do that? Do you, I, I was listening to a talk last week by one of the mothers of one of the Columbine killers, Dylan's mother. You remember the Columbine shooters where these... High school kids, went in, a couple of them went in and just, just killed so many people. And she was talking about the importance of forgiveness. 
not only trying to forgive herself, which is probably the most difficult forgiveness of all. Many of you can forgive everybody else, but you can't forgive yourself. You're trying to out holy Jesus here. Stop that. God means for you to forgive yourself as well. Accept his forgiveness for yourself. And she was dealing with so many others who blamed her for what her son had done. Although she, she looks back and she couldn't see any sign of it. But yet she was trying to empathize with them. And then she said something that just kind of changed me. She said, empathy makes forgiveness natural. And the Holy Spirit just clicked something in my mind. Do you know what Jesus was? Jesus was God's means of empathy. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, we do not have a high priest. Now, wait a minute. You remember who the high priest in the Jewish faith was, right? He was the one who took all the sins of the people into the Holy of Holies once a year and asked for forgiveness from Almighty God for all of the sins of all of the people. We do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to, there it is, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. I want you to remember this. Temptation is not the same as sin. It says it right here. Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Think of this for a minute. Think of this for a minute. How would God the Father know what it's like to have to choose between the cross and the crown? I mean, do you remember those times that they came out to Jesus and they wanted him to be the king? And knowing what he would face on that cross, don't you think it was in his mind? Oh, this would be so much easier. I could use my power to make the world better. I don't, I could, I could, I could exploit my power. I don't have to suffer. I don't have to serve. Oh, this would be so much better. He knew what it is to be tempted to choose the crown prematurely without going through the cross. He knew what that was. Why do you think Jesus would say in the Sermon of the Mount, but he who looks upon a woman with lust. Why would he say that? Because he had looked on a woman with lust. I hate to, I hate to get all up in your divinity of Jesus stuff. But here was a man. He didn't sin. But he knew what lust was. How would the Father in heaven ever know what lust is? How would he forgive us effectively for how we really live without feeling what that was like? Do you know when Jesus was in the garden and he was facing the cross, 
And he was hearing these tempting voices. These people are attacking you, Jesus. Let's gather up an army. And Jesus said, do you not think I could call upon the Father and he would send 12 legions of angels? I could wipe them all out in a second. Why would he say that? Because he was tempted to. He was thinking, I'd like to hurt those who have hurt me. I'd like to cause pain to those who have caused me pain. Jesus was God's empathy. How do you forgive? You forgive by trying to put yourself in the other people's place and asking yourself, wouldn't I be tempted to do the same thing? Wouldn't I, if I had their perspective, make that mistake too? Empathy makes forgiveness natural. Now, I want you to remember this about forgiveness and why it's so important for you and why it's so important for all of us. If you drag that around, by the way, this is how Jesus put it in the verses right after this verse. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Now, what's he talking about here? From that reading, it looks like that God would withhold forgiveness from somebody who actually wanted forgiveness. That doesn't fit any description of God. God is a God of grace. Whether we... Whether we, whether we you know, deserve it or not, whether we've done the right thing. No. Here's what he's talking about. If you don't forgive people, you cannot experience the forgiveness of God. Because you're dragging that around with you. And that thought that has hurt you, that person who has caused you pain continues to cause you pain. And therefore, you can't turn to God the way you want to because that's what's in your heart that's what's in your thoughts all the time you can't live forgiveness because you keep that cycle up you you realize you understand don't you that when you don't forgive somebody they don't care seriously you're not hurting them one bit the only person that's being hurt is you the only person being damaged is you. And their hurt continues to hurt you because you hold on to it instead of let it go with forgiveness. Not easy to do. You don't forgive people because they deserve it. You forgive people because you deserve freedom. Christ came down to give you freedom. In your pardon of them is your peace from God. That's God wants you to have that wholeness and that peace and that freedom so that you can live your life. I know it's not easy, but declare it. When that anger comes, declare it. Dec say, I forgive them. 
And when you declare it, I've told you this before, it's like, it's like buying a house. There are very few people that can afford to pay cash to buy a house. There are some people when they forgive, that's it. It goes away. They don't think of it anymore. They're released. But very few people, more people have to make installments. You know, when you buy a house legally, that's your house. But you have a mortgage. And every once in a while, you got to pay that mortgage. And then after a long time, it will really be your house. Forgiveness is the same way. When you forgive somebody, that's established in the spirit. That's attributed to you as forgiveness. Emotionally, it'll spring up again, and you got to make a little installment. No, I already forgave them. I, I, I forgive them again. I remember, I'm not going to deal with that. You know? And so, and so, and, and, and you do that long enough, it'll go away. It'll truly be yours. But I want you to know this. Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because he wants the life for you that will not be interrupted by painful cramps. And by pain that reoccurs because you will not do out of a vindictiveness or out of a revenge uh, uh, of vengeance what God knows is best for you to do now let me tell you the second one this temptation thing he taught us to pray so he could teach us to live and do not lead us into temptation this is Matthew 6 13 do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil now again, if you don't know um, much about God, it looks like it's God who would lead us into temptation. No, I want you to know the word here for temptation is the same word for testing or for ordeal or for going through trials or whatever that is. God never leads you into temptation with the motive that you could fail. All right? It says this in James. It's, it's real clear in James. James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So you've got to make a differentiation in your mind between what the Lord is doing and what the, what the devil is doing. What the devil is doing is he's trying to tempt you so that you will fail... The Lord is allowing you to be tested so that you will succeed. Because every time you succeed, you are stronger and more empathetic. You develop a character. And we need to understand this. We need to understand that that's our life. I mean, basically, we're not being chosen, picked on, for certain temptations, our life is one that trials are a normal part of our life. You, everybody understands this. Christians have to go through what everybody else goes through. Do you get that? I mean, circumstantially speaking. We aren't exempted from any... We weren't exempted from the hurricane, right? And, and, and yes, it's good to pray... It's, it's, it's good to, to pray 
that, that we don't have to go through that. Lead us not into the testing. All right? I know several of you, me included, were going, Lord, if it's all the same to you, make Irma go back out where she came from. You know? It's always good. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So don't ever feel bad about asking for anything. That way, that way, sometimes God will go, okay, we'll do it that way. I'm just waiting for you to ask. But if it doesn't happen, then you know God is taking you for this through for a reason. Okay? God has a reason, and he wants you to go through it because he has a purpose in it. So we have, we're, we're people who, who just go through testing all the time. Because it's the way that God make a, makes us stronger and makes us more empathetic and makes us depend more upon him. Remember what I said, the purpose of life is closeness to God. That's the purpose. And loving and serving each other. That's the purpose. That's in the great commandment. And so it says, it says in Peter chapter 4 verse 12, it says this. It says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. There's the word, temptation, in another, in another form among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Same word, all right? As though some strange thing were happening to you. I know some people who are about half superstitious and, and, and they think, okay, I'm going through this, so I must have done something wrong. You know, God's, God's well, there are consequences, but those are pretty plain consequences for, for dumb things you've done or sins you've done. But there are things that everybody thinks they're going through because God's, God's getting me for something. No, if there's not a natural connection, it's the normal life everybody lives. The normal life. We've got to experience hurricanes. We go through cancer. We go through depression. We go through betrayal. We go through everything everybody else goes through. The difference is how we go through it. That's the difference. And so, and so, Bible says, don't, don't think you're weird because you're going through something. Don't be surprised. It's what people go through. And then when it gets right down to the temptations in our minds, you know, we feel, I mean, the actual sins that sometimes we consider or, or strongholds in our life, they make us feel so dirty and alien from God and so awful and, 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 and golly, I must be the worst person on the face of the earth. Do you ever have those thoughts spring into your mind? And you think, where in the world did that come from? Oh, my goodness. I wouldn't tell anybody I, th I thought that for all the tea in China. Well, listen to this. Many of you have, have, have memorized this verse because it's part of the Navigator 2-7 series. And, and, and all of us that have gone through that have memorized a bunch of these verses 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. You know, if you breathe this deep, deep dark secret to somebody, they probably wouldn't be surprised. Because they know lots of people who have those thoughts every once in a while. They know lots of people who are tempted by those. You're not weird. You're just like the rest of us. All right? So don't get all self-isolating about this stuff. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted, tested beyond what you are able, watch this, 
But with the testing, we'll provide a way of escape also. Can I just say, don't just sit in the temptation. You've got to take action. There's a way of escape. Take it. So that you will be able to endure it. Now that we're talking about how we're all in this together. Because temptation loses its power when we have this sense that God is putting all of us through this. This is just part of the human experience and it's part of how we get closer to him. And it's how we rely on It's part of how we ask him to deliver us. It's the reason that they're still around is so that we can see him and how he delivers us. I was listening to a couple of talks this week that were interesting to me. One, one was on, uh, both of them were on, on mental um, uh, illness, which, you know, has, have, they have some um, kinship to, to sin. Um, one was about um, severely uh, mentally ill people in Belgium. Now, I, I've got this interest. Some of you know that I worked in a, in a mental, in a sane asylum. Uh, when I was working on my doctorate, Central State Hospital for the Mentally Insane in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I was part of a medical team there. Um, and, and back in that day, um, people were housed that were psychotic and, and just uncontrollable. And, 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 and when they abolished those, they just kicked a lot of those people onto the street. That's why you see a lot of crazy people on the street, because we've got no no places for them anymore. Um, But here's what most of them did back then. They treated them as crazy. They treated them as specimens. They treated them by the label of their mental impairment. I was listening to this lecture of a Christian saint from seven centuries ago. Of course, he wasn't a saint seven centuries ago. But he was in this town. You could go to this town today if you want. It's called Giel, G-E-E-L, Belgium. And they have a custom in this town that for people who are significantly mentally insane, they take them into their homes. They take them into their homes. And, 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 and for seven centuries, this has been a part of their culture. And they don't take them in for a couple of weeks. They call them boarders, and then they call them family people. And all of the town know who, who's crazy and how they're liable to act out. And they don't allow them to do anything destructive or, or even long-term um, um, disruptive. But they don't treat them as crazy people. They treat them as people, as a part of the community. You can probably guess how much healing there is in a community like that rather than the one that identifies people by their failure and by their disease. Do you know the church does the same thing? I mean, we we identify people by their sins. Do you think God does that? (laughs) Do you think he looks at it and says, uh, well, there's Mr. Jones, but I know him as Mr. Lust. You know, well, there's, there's Mrs. Smith, but I know her as Mrs. Greedy. 
Well, this, no, no. We have so we tend to do this to ourselves. We we tend to identify with our with our failures, identify with our weaknesses. That's how we see ourselves. That's not how God sees us. And so, yes, periodically, you know, for a segment of life. Maybe some medication will help, or, 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 or maybe a certain kind of, 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 of uh, conversation will help. But do you know this? This is true of both illness and um, um, sin. That when you focus on it, it just gets stronger. It just gets stronger. So the Bible is trying to say to us, look, everybody's got this stuff. Don't look on people as their failure or their sin. Look on people as, the, as people. And everybody is working out their stuff. And the healing will go up. You know, I, I was listening, the second talk I was listening to was, the, was kind of the history of thoughts and how we, how we treat mental illness, or not even mental illness, but aberrant thoughts. Have you ever had a thought? I, I, I may have asked you this before that came into your mind and you were so horrified by that thought you thought oh my goodness how would I even think of something like that you were so horrified that you thought I must be a horrible person to think of something like that where would that come from well biblically I know where it comes from the Bible talks about the fiery darts from the accuser from the evil one it's a fiery dart it's a fiery dart. And every once in a while, we'll get those thoughts. But if we become preoccupied with them, the old, the old method was Freudian psychoanalysis. Freudian psychoanalysis said this. You know, every thought has a deep meaning. And it reveals something about your deepest self. And so if you have these weird thoughts, you've got to excavate them. You've got to trace them. You've got to talk about it. You've got to... You've got to uh, fixate upon them and only then will you get better no you don't no you just identify yourself as that problem later on through the work of Adler and several others there developed cognitive behavioral therapy they didn't have the same view of thoughts. They knew that sometimes just weird thoughts would come in your mind. And you, you go to this kind of therapist and, and, they, and you say, Boy, I had this horrible thought. I must be a horrible person. And they'd say, well, what makes you think that? Well, anybody who'd think this must be a horrible person. And they'd say, is there any evidence there of, of, of that anywhere else in your life? Well, no. Well, have you taken any action on it? Well, no, but I'm afraid if I think about it long enough that I will. What makes you think you're going to concentrate on that long enough to actually take it? Well, I know I don't want to do that. What evidence in their life, in your life, is that you're this kind of person? Well, there isn't any evidence. Well, then stop giving it any credibility whatsoever. Do you see where I'm going with this? God wants us not to focus on our temptations and our, on our testing. Because the testing is for a purpose. Let me, let me show you the third level of, of, of approach to this. And I, and, and, and I think they call it third wave. I, I call it judo therapy. And I'll tell you why. You know the theory of judo where you, where you use the aggression of your attacker against themselves. 
You use the energy against themselves. Well, you have an aggressor. His name is Satan. He's called the accuser. He's your attacker. All right? So, so why does God give him access to us? Because it's by this very dynamic that I'm about to tell you that we will become stronger in the Lord's work. They say when these thoughts come to you, not only dismiss them, but let them help you focus on the thoughts you want to have, on the activities you want to do. Do you know this is what happened to Jesus, right? When God was getting, oops, when God was getting him ready for ministry in the wilderness, it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, why would God do that? Because this was a test to become stronger, to become more reliant on God, the Father, and to develop the kind of perspective he would need for what he was about to face. The devil came to him, just like he comes to us, and tempted him with the three main temptations of life. You know what they are? Appetite. Remember? It's not just physical appetite, but it's, it's, it's all kinds of appetites. You know, Jesus was hungry. He had been fasting. If you're really the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So he tempted him with appetite. He tempted him with popularity. If you're really the son of God, throw yourself down off that tower. Because the Bible says, by the way, do you know the devil can quote scripture all day long to you? Don't just, because somebody quotes scripture, don't believe that they're of God. Because the devil uses scripture all day long to get you in trouble. You've got to see the character of the person before you understand whether or not they're of God. So anyhow... Throw yourself down. Because the Bible says you can throw yourself down and, and, and you won't be harmed. And, 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 and what happens, what would happen is everybody would rush up to Jesus and say, Oh, how'd you do that? I'm going to follow you. How'd you do that? Popularity is the second temptation. We all want people to think well of us. We all want to be popular. And the third temptation was power. The devil said, just, just bow down. I give you all the kingdoms of this world. First place, you've got to understand, the devil can't get you a thing, give you a thing because he doesn't own anything. It's all deception. Every time you sin thinking, I'll, be, I'll feel better if I do this, you feel worse. He's promised, he's promised that you'll feel better, that you'll, you'll at least solve some of your problems, and all you do is dig yourself into a deeper hole. That's the, de that's the deception of the devil. So he says, I tell you what, just bow down to me. I give you all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus said, it is written. Jesus always answered the scripture. You shall serve God and serve God only. The question for us is, why did God lead him through that at the beginning of his ministry? Why is God leading you through what you're going through right now? Because he wants us to turn it into praise and blessing. Praise to him and blessing for somebody else. That's judo therapy. 
That's also Judo theology. You remember what Jesus said at the end of his life? Watch this. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was dreading the cross. He was human. Some of you are dreading right now what you're going through or what somebody you love is going through. And you literally could sweat bullets over it. You're under that much stress. That's how much stress Jesus was under. So it doesn't mean you don't have faith. If Jesus can be under that kind of stress, you can be under stress. Don't feel like you don't have faith. It's just a normal response, okay? But this is what it says, Matthew 26, 39. It says, and he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Lead me not into this test. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. You see the turn. If you're going to lead me, then somehow I know you're going to work power out of this thing. Let me, let me just say that Irma was not without its wonderful benefits. What we have done as a church is we have not only loved people we never would have gotten to love and taken care of people who had no one else, but we've been able to go out into strangers' yards and just say, can we help? What you've done as people for your neighbors was this judo theology. Lord, I don't want to go through a storm. I don't want to mess in my yard. I don't want to live without electricity. But if I'm going to do that, help me to have empathy for people who never have electricity. Help me to have empathy for people whose lives are a mess. And set me into action of serving so that somehow, if people see my good works, they'll give glory to you in heaven. Pray with me. God, you are the almighty God who's taught us not only to pray but to live in ways that are victorious. And so we ask you to help us to take the genuine hurts of life and turn them into the even more genuine love and faith and service of life. We pray that we could follow Jesus into realms of service and of love we have not been before because we have hardships we have not faced before. We pray this in your name. Amen.